You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully, everybody's had a great week. It's hump day, and that means the weekend is almost here. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to more shed hunting. My dad is going to be watching the kids, and I'm taking the wife, and I'm going to meet up with some friends, Mark Kenyon and Ben Harshine, and we're going to pound some ground looking for some sheds in uh, southeastern Iowa. Hopefully we find some before the rain kicks in, and uh, I guess if we don't, we'll be inside uh, BSing and drinking some beers. So uh, that's what I, I have to look forward to this weekend. However, last weekend, I had the opportunity to go to the Iowa Deer Classic. And I, I recorded like three or four different podcasts. And then Ben Harshine from Hunterra says to me, Hey, Dan, Donnie Vincent is going to be in my booth all weekend. How would you like to interview him? And I said, I'm down for that. I I really like what this guy does, and I'll tell you why. I've never been the guy who, I guess, read all of Fred Bear's, you know, articles and and followed him. I've never been the guy who who has read into Theodore Roosevelt. Um, but in this digital age, just like many of us, I have read and I have seen Donnie Vincent and Donnie's message that he puts out and it's something I can really get behind and I can agree with and I feel that I have some of the similar beliefs that he does towards the hunting industry the hunting community and hunting as a whole and I tell you it's it was a pleasure sitting down and talking with someone who feels the same way I do about a lot of the things 
like what I just mentioned, the hunting industry, the hunting community. So uh, I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with him in the Huntera booth, and we talked about Donnie's mentors growing up as far as hunting is concerned. We talk about the hunting industry versus the hunting community and what we feel is sort of a disconnect there uh, between the two. And then we kind of end the podcast with a bucket list hunts, you know, some hunts that Donnie is really looking forward to going to in the next couple of years. Uh, we talk a, l- a little bit about, uh, I believe, some some moose and some caribou hunts that uh, he wants to go on. And uh, it's just it was just a pleasure sitting down and talking to a person in the hunting community that I feel is doing it for the right reasons and not just to become popular and famous and get likes and clicks and shares. So uh, huge shout out to Donnie for taking time to do that, man. I really appreciate it. Other than that, if this is your first time ever listening to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast and the Sportsman's Nation podcast network, please take some additional time after this podcast and go to the sportsmensnation.com. And that's with an E, sportsmensnation, M E N S sportsmansnation.com and take a look at all the other podcasts that we have on the whitetail network or the whitetail rss feed and the big game rss feed as well take a look at our social media pages uh sportsman's nation on instagram and facebook and just follow along with all the other stories and, and kick-ass podcasts that that we put out so um again Huge shout-out to Ben Harshine for setting this up. Huge shout-out to Donnie for taking time to record. And uh, before we get into the podcast, man, please take some time and go to exodusoutdoorgear.com. Take a look at their trail cameras. Take a look at their new trail camera that they have out. It's uh, very reasonably priced. Uh, There's some badass trail cameras. They're direct-to-consumer, so uh, it saves you money, and they have a kick-ass theft and damage uh five-year warranty so uh take advantage of that as well again exodus outdoor gear deer <laughs> god i can't even talk i'm so pumped for this website exodus outdoorgear.com all right let's get into today's podcast with donnie vincent all right i'm here at the huntera booth with mr donnie vincent donnie how you doing today Good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. First question while she's standing right here. Kate, this is going to be on the podcast. Have you ever had any of her appetizers or cooking yet? Yes. Um, she, um, in fact, she made a sandwich bar one time at their house, yeah. and I realized that's just ingredients. Yeah. But it was the most sensational oh, sandwich man. bar that I've ever seen that I literally text Ben probably, <laughs> I'm going to say, five to six times a year just to let him know that I'm thinking about said sandwich bar. And in fact, when we came down to do this show this year, I said, he said, can you stay? Because I'm going to draw Iowa this year. I should, fingers crossed. And so we were going to scout a property together. And he said, well, can you stay a day or two and go scout the property with me? And I said, is there a sandwich bar? And he said, we can probably do the sandwich bar. And I said, well, if we can do the sandwich bar, then I can probably go scouting. Let me me tell you something. I don't know what the sandwich bar is. It's But I can tell you that her charcuterie plates are money, and I'm surprised she doesn't have, like, a crock pot full of appetizers here right now. I wish she did. I wish you, she did. You do have some? Oh, popcorn. <laughs> I was, that's like, it's probably some fancy popcorn, though, knowing you, right? 
Okay. So the sandwich bar was awesome buns. Right. A huge selection of really fun meats. Right. Even more fun cheeses. Right. Even more fun mustards. Yes. Peppers, pickles. Yes. And then we just made our own sandwiches. It was stupid. And I was going on the road. It was stupid. Yeah. So good. Right. I did. Did you let him? Well, he didn't ask. Oh, yeah. okay. I yeah. gotcha. I'm surprised Ben's not fat. Like, really fat. I just hide it under the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> very slimming Huntera shirts. Very slimming. Very slimming. So, I, you know, you're, you've been on quite a few podcasts and, you know, probably have talked about detailed hunting strategies and you've talked a lot about, you know, just a variety of different things. So I wanted to do something a little bit different today and i just want to kick it off with mentors right we all have someone who kind of either inspired us or helped us get to where we are today not only as maybe what you do for your profession but as a hunter as well so my question to you is when you were a kid growing up who were some of your influencers and uh, mentors as far as hunting is concerned? Mm-hmm. Originally, um, it's a really easy question for me because originally uh, Jack O'Connor, uh, literary professor out of Arizona, um, very popular um, editor for Outdoor Life. Right. And had a bunch of, authored a bunch of books, authored a bunch of magazine articles, and he was... Um, obviously, because he was a literature professor, knew how to write. He had right. a great command of the English language and he wrote beautifully and he was a really good storyteller and it was funny because I, I read his books still to this day constantly but I had my, my dad who was not a hunter right. received a gift from his parents which was a book subscription from Outdoor Life, not a magazine subscription a book subscription back in the day and okay. they, he'd receive a hardcover book like six a year Wow! and so a lot of them that he had were authored by Jack awesome. and so I got into this reading these books but there was one book in particular it's a big white book i still have it in my office i still look at it almost every day in fact i just got it out the other day when i was going mountain lion hunting because i had some internal conflictions about going lion hunting so i wanted to see what jack thought about it i wanted to read what he thought about in the 1960s because he has a whole article about it or a whole chapter about it and so um this book it's called the big game animals of north america right and it's so cool. It's bigger than average book. It has a canvas cover. And when you open it, um, there's a painting for each big game animal. It showed like a hunting scene. Yeah. So you, the first one is a doll sheep. And so you see these white sheep. You see these big rams <clears throat> sitting there on these granite on these granite cliffs. And then way up on the cliffs, the painter, you can see two guys in their little fedora hats with high-powered rifles like hiding up there. And so... Not only did these templates, these paintings, show the animals right. and, the, and the areas they lived in, showed their habitat, right. but it showed a hunting scene. Yes. So then I'd go, yes. into the, I'd go into it, and Jack would very un... Uh, he was very passionate about hunting these animals, but he was very non-sensational. Right. He didn't... Everything, like... He, think, people would talk about deer weighing... 350 pounds he'd right. say no no at best this deer was maybe 200 pounds they, right. people would say oh this mountain lion was 240 pounds no it's maybe 190 pounds like he was really good at being honest with himself right. and his and his viewers if you will his readers and so like i just would go through and read his books and he'd tell of his first 
one of the things that just really moved me is he tell about the first time he saw an animal oftentimes like oh the first time i saw the golden horns of a doll sheep right. like what he thought and what they looked like and he was really good at describing so you really felt like you were seeing that very animal the same time he was right. he's really good at painting that picture so and then as the chapter would go through he'd tell about hunting them and then as it ended he would go into their natural history, their biology, right. um, things that they, how they bred, and then he'd literally have a few pages in there from um, museums, essentially showing their growth and their genus and species and their delineation. So I'd read this book cover to cover, repeatedly. And so, my dad owned firearms. Yeah, he had books on hunting. Right, but he never went hunting. And when he did go hunting, <clears throat> truly, I'm suspicious that he was going to a cabin and drinking a bunch of beer with his buddies, right? Because <laughs> they went, they, they used to go to Maine deer hunting, Yeah. and I, I never saw a dead deer in my entire life. Right. And he went for years, right? right? right. And I don't, I don't even know if he ever owned bullets. <laughs> yeah. So that, so Jack was a huge influence to me, and that led to, as I get a little old, got a little bit older, that led me to Fred Bear. Right. So I didn't, I wasn't an archer yet. I wasn't an archer till late in life, so the featherweight 270 Winchester pre-64 rifle that Jack used on everything was like the dream rifle to me. Right. I actually got the, I actually just got to hold that rifle a couple of weeks ago, that very rifle that I've read about my whole life at the Wild Sheep show in right. Reno. Right. So it was kind of haunting to sit there and hold this gun. But um, So and, and then I started reading about Fred, and Fred was basically like Jack. Mm-hmm. He was gifted with the word. But he was just using a bow. So it, it just started to be, a, uh, I started to appreciate the adventure of him using his bow equipment. Right. And that led into Chuck Adams, who is a beautiful writer. And I've never met Chuck, but he's got to be one of the most astounding killers right. um, yeah. that we know about. He, he, he's either a fantastic liar or he <laughs> is every, everything that anyone could ever hope to be. And I'll never forget, I read, I've read his books or book. I don't know if he has multiples. I kind of yeah. forget what I've read. But I remember he had this little piece in the back of his book where he had talked, he had let people interview guides that he had hunted with. Mm-hmm. And one of the guides said, uh, they said, is Chuck a good hunter? And he said, uh, I wouldn't want him hunting me. And I just <laughs> thought, okay, that's very poignant. So those guys really really moved me and it's funny because i'm a biologist or i was a biologist i'm kind of like a hobby biologist i guess i only did it for a few years before i moved on in my life but i still love the science i still love that that road that it goes down and it's kind of funny how my life has bridged out like this because that first book the big game animals of north america is half biological and half hunting stories and half I was just almost going to say half, half, half. A third hunting stories, yeah. a third uh, biology, and a third of just like describing the animals, the hunt, the experience. Right. It's kind of like now what I do for a job, something that I never, ever anticipated that I would right. be doing. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting because I, ne- I didn't really come from a hunting family as well. My, um, my dad and me and my brother would always watch on Sunday nights National Geographic. Oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. And the footage there is what made me an animal lover yes. in the first place. Same. And then my family didn't hunt, so I kind of transitioned into hunting. I, I got I got pushed into the water of hunting with my uncle doing trapping and pheasant hunting. Sure. But then archery came on my own. Sure. So did you have someone there because being influenced by that that book and by those authors is one thing but having somebody 
take you out as a either a child or an adult and show you that first step is something completely different. Yes, and and I didn't have a mentor in that regard of right. an uncle or a dad or um, I did have I did have um, one of my uncles was a pretty good hunter, but he he never took us. But I listened when he spoke. Right, he was a pretty private guy about hunting. He'd hunt with his son, and that was kind of it. But I had some friends, um, particularly a guy named. Um, um, Dan Logison and and another guy named Aaron Banker in right. high school because I didn't start hunting till late till in high school and right. so these guys they were duck hunters and so I loved the idea of waterfalling loved it fell right. in love with the migration the decoys the dogs the shotguns everything right and so they started taking me duck hunting so and duck hunting led into you know so then 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 I then I used whatever I learned duck hunting is like okay now I'm gonna go deer hunting so I'd get a 12 gauge with a slug barrel on it, go to right. state land, walk around. But I hunted deer for nine years before I killed my first deer Nice. with a gun. Right. And I finally killed a doe, and then I hunted. Um, and then one day I was driving past an archery shop in St. Cloud, Minnesota called Archery Country. Okay. It was pouring rain out. No one was in the parking lot. I was super intimidated to go in, but I drove by, and no one was in the parking lot. So I actually turned around, drove past it again, Nobody was there. Turn around again, and I finally I pulled in. I walked in, and some guy was sitting behind the counter, and he's like, "Hey, man, what's going on?" And I was like, uh, "I think I'd like to shoot a bow." And he's like, "Yeah, let's let's get you all set up." And I go, "I don't have any money." And he goes, oh, "Who cares? Let's let's get you all set up, and we'll shoot a little bit." And so he set a bow up for me, and I clipped the release on, and I came to full draw, and I shot the target, and I looked back at him, and I said. I don't know that I'm ever going to pick up a gun again. And he started laughing. He's like, oh, no, no, that's that's not what this is about. I still gun hunt. Gun hunting's great. And he's like, that's, this isn't a, this isn't a, a, a divide in the right. road. This is, this is just another season. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And so th that guy, like, I don't even know what his name is. I'm sure I could find him out because I know some of the guys that own Archery right. Country now. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was a great transition. Then I had friends that took me. It was really funny. I had a friend that took me bow hunting, and I've always been, um, I had an acute fear of heights. So, like, initially getting up, like, 18 <laughs> feet in a tree stand was pretty serious. That's funny. And I, I, I'd sit up there and hold on to the trunk of the tree. Right. And I remember I saw this big doe coming out. This is my first day of bow hunting ever, and I was literally almost bear-hugging the tree, and I saw this big doe coming out. She came down to this little creek. She drank, and she walked away. And I was in my 20s already, yeah. or maybe 20. 21 something like that but i'm holding on to this tree i'm looking down at her and then she walks off and my buddy came and picked me up came and got me and i climbed down and he's like how was it i'm like well it's scary being up that high and he's like yeah well you'll get used to it you know and then he's like Did you see anything i said yeah a big doe came down and drank but way way too far to shoot like that was like 40 yards and he goes well, where'd she drink and i go right here at the creek he goes that's 17 yards from where you were sitting <laughs> I was like, oh, man, it looked like a light years away. How, how old were you at that point? I was probably 21, Okay. probably 20, 21, something right. like that. So I started really late in life. Right, right. Um, I'm 43 now. Okay. And so, but then it hit me. Um, it just hit me. Right. And I just immersed in it. And I was already had a fascination for wildlife. I was always a steward of the land and the wildlife anyway because that's what I did, like snakes, frogs, oh, fish. Yeah. Like I was, yeah. all I did when I was a kid. And um, and so those two things just clashed together pretty quick, right. and and um, I was off to the races. So, was there a specific trigger? Because 
I hunted early in my life, like 14, 15 years old, and I I wasn't ever serious about it. I played sports. I, you know, I chased girls, you know what I mean? That, and then it wasn't until I was 26 that because of certain circumstances put me in a tree on a specific day, and that day was the day I told myself, I am going to be a bow hunter, and I'm going to hunt archery season for the rest of my life as long as I possibly can. Did you have any specific moment like that happen for you? Or I, I kind I had, it happened over four days. Right. Um, my, let's call it a career for ease of, my career of being a bow hunter went right. just accelerated really fast. So my first day was the doe that I just told you about. Right. The second day I actually had a basket six walk by at like 10 yards. Right. And I passed him and my friends were really bothered by the fact that I passed this deer. <laughs> They're like, well, you have no business passing anything. And so then um, the next day I went out and I was in Menominee, Wisconsin, right. and I, um, a friend of mine lent me some antlers. And so I was sitting in a tree stand, and I smashed these antlers together. And as soon as I cracked them together, I heard a buck smash a tree in a swamp. And I was just like, no way, that's not because of what I just did. <laughs> so I hit, him the, I hit him again, and he did it again, and I just hung him up. And that buck, and it was really cool because it was a big, huge oak ridge to my west. I was sitting at the bottom of the Oak Ridge, call it a foothill right before it dropped again. Right. And then it dropped again into a little trout creek slash swamp. So there's pea soup fog in the trout creek, yeah. and it kind of created this pea soup wall, and then the fog didn't go up the Oak Ridge. Yeah. This buck came walking out of the fog. Wow. And uh, <laughs> this is the absolute – so he comes walking out, I'm oh, my word. Like, this thing is a mega giant. Yeah. I'm sitting there with my bow trembling. He walks right – to the base of my tree and he's on the backside and I'm just sitting there and I remember I used to like read and watch all of Mark Drury's stuff and I remember Mark saying one time that if a deer walks up to you don't shoot him when he's coming because if he's walking to you he's going to walk past you and you're going to get a better shot at his vitals so yeah. don't ever shoot him when they're coming shoot him when they're going so I was just sitting there and I finally I looked and he was staring at me he ran <laughs> off As soon, so that happened and I said Okay, so he heard me rattle. He didn't have anything to go to, yeah. so he came right to me because yeah. he knew where I was. Yeah. So I was like, I need to go get a decoy. Yeah. So I drove right to Cabela's, bought a Montana fold-up doe right. decoy, Right. went out the next weekend. I drove, <laughs> I drove all the way to my hunting property from my house in Minneapolis. I forgot my release. <laughs> Had to drive all the way back to my house in Minneapolis. Drove all the way back out. So now I'm now I'm arriving at the property at like 9.30 in the morning, right. 9 o'clock in the morning. Right. Big, huge, puffy snowflakes are falling down. I hike out. I get on top of the ridge right. just above where I'd hunted before. I get there. I drank a thermos of tea <laughs> back and forth. So I have to pee now. But I'm like, okay, I get all set. I rattle super hard. I put my decoy out 21 yards. I rattle super hard. Hang my rattling antlers up. Turn around grab my pee bottle, right. I start peeing, and I literally look down, and there's what I called at that time a monster buck walking up the hill, and I'm like, oh my word, don't even don't even finish, right. put the cap on the bottle, stuff in my bag, I'm still completely undone and out. <laughs> I grab my bow, he looks, I, he is coming right to the decoy, yeah. come to full draw, smoke him, 
and he runs off, and, and um, it was when I first started texting, and I text a buddy of mine, I'll never forget, but I said, I just shot a 155-inch 10-pointer my fourth day of bow hunting, and it was a 121-inch 7-pointer. <laughs> and that's, I thought that, I literally, he was like 16 inches on the inside. Yeah. I literally thought that was a mid-150-inch yeah. deer. We have we have all been there you know yep. i can remember when i was younger and i didn't really know anything about score yep. and i just remember um i don't know i don't know watching some monster bucks that's exactly D how i yeah, did it yeah, dvd exactly. and yeah. you see 170 180 or whatever and so i tell my uh awesome. i tell my uh, stepdad at the time i'm just like i swear to god i just saw a 200 inch buck and he's like oh really describe it and so i described it <laughs> he's like yeah, that's probably 130. Yeah, you just described a 130 <laughs> class deer. I, I'm guessing it was a two-year-old or a three-year-old, yeah. and then I felt embarrassed, and then I yep. did some research. So <laughs> You know what it is? It's too, like, for me, all the bucks that I'd seen up to that point were one-year-olds. Right. So this is the first two-year-old. I think it was the two-year-old oh, yeah. that I shot. So yeah. it's my, my first two-year-old. So he's that, that again, bigger. Right. Just a completely different deer. Completely, right. from one-and-a-half to two-and-a-half, completely different deer. And then you start... You know, and I think that's where we get in a little bit of trouble. Right. Because then all of a sudden that euphoric feeling you see from one to two, and then all of a sudden you start to refine your craft a little bit, and you go, okay, so now two to three. And I remember, like, when I started seeing three-year-olds, I was like, are you kidding me? People right. pass these things. Are you kidding me? Right. And then all of a sudden you, you refine your craft again or maybe a different property. And I'm not right. talking about Taylor Drury, right? She's an outlier. I'm not yeah. talking about somebody with the last name Kiski or Lakoski. These people yeah. are outliers. Right. You, these these are not configured into the parabola of hunters. Right. These people have special places. They're, they're special the hunters. Yeah. They're the one they're the yes. So then we refine our craft for seeing four year olds. Right. Heavy heavy uh, hooved animals right. with thick heavy antlers and then all of a sudden this perpetuation, right? And right. we start you start to get if you have any wherewithal at all, right. you start to see the danger of it because all of a sudden, nothing is seemingly good enough. All right. of a sudden, you're passing deer that you're, you you hear this in movies or, or read it in books where you say the 10-year-old version of myself would kick my ass for oh, doing yeah. this. It's kind of like you start. Absolutely. And I, I even see it. like, and I, I just had this guy write me a letter recently, and he, he drew Iowa last year. Yep. And he just he said, I just got lost. Like, he was so fixated on trying to... He, you know, it took him five years to draw Iowa. So yeah. he's so fixated on killing a 180, 190, 200 that he didn't didn't kill a deer, passed tons of deer that he probably would now give his right arm to shoot. Right. And doesn't remember the sunrises, doesn't remember the sunsets, doesn't remember watching the combines roll through the cornfields or the right. songbirds or the coyotes. Or right. He just was so, and we've, we've, we've allowed this to do this to ourselves. And there's some people that still really have the sickness. Yeah. And there's some people, you know, I recently talked to a guy and he's like, yeah, I've killed, he came up to me, you know, he wanted to, he wanted to give me his resume. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I've killed three 200 inch whitetails. Yeah. And he said, what do you think? And I said, oh, I've never even seen one. Yeah. I've never even, the biggest deer, I know the biggest deer that I've seen as a whitetail because it got killed and it scored 191 inches. Yeah. And this landslide hands down the biggest deer it ever saw right yeah right and so like it, I, 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 my opinion is we perpetuated into a danger zone of losing um what this is all about right yeah and i want to transition into that because 
You have this show. We're at the Iowa Deer Classic. It is a consumer show. Anybody can come in this show and walk around. We were just at the ATA show a mm-hmm. while back. It's for it's it's business, right? It's for, money for dealers allegedly. Yep, yep. dealers and uh, industry people to you know do deals or whatnot. But mm-hmm. that show, I walk in and I see, I feel money. I feel big bucks, right? Big bucks sell, big bucks, big bucks. Big, big deer, yeah, big deer, you mean. big deer, big yeah, deer. yeah. And you get to this show, and this is this show represents the hunting community and the people who buy the products that are at the ATA show. And I agree. M- my opinion, and I'm just a guy with nine fingers, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm guessing you're going to say there's some lost in translation, right? Absolutely. I feel that there is a disconnect between who, who they're marketing for and the market. What's your thoughts on that? Same. Same. Um, it's, um, it's definitely become, and it's funny because if, I, if you take a step back, and, and I'm using generalities here because I'm not, I'm not educated enough on the timeline of things to right. sit here, but, you know, like I think back, and again, I might be building this up in my head. <laughs> um, have another <laughs> welcome, welcome, to the Iowa Deer. welcome to the Iowa Deer Classic. 9 a.m i saw a, my a guy smashing the, his fir- he was throwing away his first bush light <laughs> hey, my people that's awesome that's awesome um but you know i think back to like chuck adams and these guys and i think back to these times like fred bear and i wondered if the commercial side of things was far less right. like right. i feel like guys would walk into pro shops and again i may have embodied this in my head yeah. but i feel like guys would walk into pro shops and see these beautiful bows and these beautiful rifles and talk to these guys that bled for this like right. and again i'm making generalities but I, I i picture a guy you know flannel shirt puffy you know patagonia vest or whatever behind the counter and he's hunted alaska caribou or iowa whitetails or south dakota pheasants and like he's selling you guns and ammunition and backpacks and things like that that were made out of craft that were hand sewn that were conjured up and i feel like that that idea has just snowballed into trinkets and gadgets and like you said like uh, we had dinner last night with this gentleman who is a fantastic deer hunter. He's killed giants. Yeah. He's, he's has a beautiful property. And I said to him, We're, all the guys that hunt giant deer, the Lakoskis, the Drury's, the, uh, the, the quiet Lakoskis and Drury's that exist that aren't on TV, aren't yeah. in magazine, have, there is a host. I don't even think a lot of archers know this. Yeah. There are a host of hunters, legit unbelievable craftsmen scientists yep guys that have woodsmanship that will melt your face off that have houses rooms barns full of huge antlers huge curled sheep that have never written a magazine article never had their photo taken never speak a word would rather you don't even know what's going on and they're true craftsmen what they do these people exist and i just I think we've just kind of snowballed a little bit yeah. um, down the wrong road. And like I said, I may be sensationalizing the past to myself, building this image myself, but I feel like what was a craft has now become you can buy it. 
and and all these guys that kill these giant bucks, still, Mel Johnson, October 29th, 1964, sitting on his knees underneath an oak tree in Peoria, Illinois, right. with a recurve, and his crew cut no, arrows what still stands as the typical world record. I think it's 204 yeah. or something. That was, I mean, how is that possible? Right. With all of this stuff that you just described that's going right. on in the ATA, all these guys that are literally designing properties around growing deer, hunting deer, yep. managing deer, how is it that no one has still beat his 204? Right. Right? right. And so, I, yeah, I completely agree with you. And, and um, some of it is some of it's really cool. You see some um, progressions in technology and things, and you're just like, like obviously compound bows are just like, whoa. Like, right. they're pretty amazing. But... But then I think back, like I see Chuck Adams with his big aluminum tube XX75s and his old PSEs and his old Hoyts and his old, and I just wonder, like, was it better then? Right. Yeah. Like, I think I think the guy that lives in a single-room cabin with a wood stove is happier than the guy that has a 22-room mansion. Right. I agree. I want to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think that there's going to be a tipping point in yes. all this? Yeah, 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 is for it, sure. Is it going to come sooner or is it going to come later? Sooner. Sooner, I think. Um, and I'm probably going to slip my own throat here, I think, which I'm probably relatively good at. But I think with some of these um, buy-in groups, right. these big companies that are buying up all these market shares, buying up all these small companies, creating these huge parent companies, right. I, think that's a, I think that's pretty sad. And while they do still control a lot of these brands individually, even though they're buying a bow company, a call company, a string company, a release company, a you know a broadhead company, a whatever, yeah. I think even though they're running these companies individually and hopefully with the same passion, I really think what's happening is um, cheaper and cheaper and cheaper manufacturing, less and less and less marketing, and and um, which which to me means less storytelling, which to me means less. Um, um, passion it to me it's just we please just we're just going to inundate you with magazine articles and crappy ads on tv because yeah. we're going to try to mcdonald's you we're going to yeah. try to brainwash you yeah. into buying our releases our bows our strings our calls when it used to be when the guy handed you something across the counter a rifle of bows like this was built by a craftsman somebody that was trying to build a better mousetrap somebody that bled for their craft and wanted to share their art and their mind's eye with you right and with these big companies buying up all these little companies and then also with i think outdoor tv how it's kind of turned into um infomercials if you will right these guys and you can't fault some of these outdoor tv shows because they're trying to make they're, they're trying to run a business model right and unfortunately hunting and business and i'm doing it too this yeah. is i'm a hypocrite right this is right. what i do for a job i own a production company and i sell hunting films as part of my right. production company i do a lot of other stuff but um, so I am the pot calling the kettle black. I don't want anyone to think that I think yep. I'm above or even beside these people. I am these people. But I just think that chasing that dollar has resulted in a degradation of work, a degradation of passion, and a degradation of hunters as a whole. I see a lot of hunters that I don't know that I would call a hunter. Yeah. If, if cameras and, and, and if Facebook and, and um, Instagram... Uh, and 
um, cameras weren't involved, I think there'd be a lot less recruitment of people wanting to further their careers mm -hmm. or see them on right. screen and film. Right. Do, you, do you think that this all, in a way, has something to do with low, low or lower hunter recruitment? Maybe. Um, maybe. You mean you mean you mean the the the, the hunting community as a whole is shrinking. The, this yeah. you're right, but you mean this hurricane of of business that yeah. is now surrounding this industry is maybe scaring some people away. Where where some kid watches a television show and he goes out and he he watch, this show shows somebody shooting a giant buck, and then the kid goes out and he can't he he sees that that's his only. Reference. reference of hunting and it's on a giant food plot it's the guy shoots a you know a 200 inch deer out of a two thousand dollar ground blind blah 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 this kid goes out he tries he fails and then because he can't compete with what he sees he's out yeah i, I mean i think there's probably plenty of that yeah um i think there's probably enough of that that that's a that's a, a a good statement and a and probably a sound statement. I I will tell you this, um, if I may toot my own horn a little bit. Yep. Um, I've gotten really good. Uh, I don't mean talented, but I've gotten really good at talking with non-hunters and anti-hunters. Yes. And uh, I didn't. I haven't seen this direct correlation firsthand, but secondarily, like I did a photo shoot a few years ago with a sunglass company in Colorado. Everyone on the shoot besides myself was a professional snowboarder skier um wakeboarder wake skater bmxer mountain biker right. action sports right um i've kept in contact with a number of those people i brought my bow on that shoot and so we we did a they did a cabin retreat for the weekend for all these models for us to shoot this whole thing and i brought my bow so guys could shoot my bow yeah and like five of those guys are hunting now nice yeah and That's so awesome. it's it's just kind of wicked cool and so and then um, I've just had a few other people like um, uh, I just had a friend of mine named Mitchell here that I see at the Iowa Deer Class. Oh, you know yeah. Mitch? I know Mitch. Yep. He, he built my arrows this year. Oh, sweet. Yep. Yeah, he's freaking really talented guy. But he, he just told me he had some kids come to his shop to get bows and little yep. kids. Yep. And the kid's dad was like, yeah, so I'm, I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I don't know. I've never really thought about hunting. And he said, I'll tell you what, go home tonight. And Google Donnie Vincent's Who We Are yeah. and watch it. And he said the guy came in the next day and he's like, dude, I'm buying a bow today. <laughs> I want arrows today. And he's like, I'm not going to buy a trad bow. I'm going to start out with compound, but I'm leaving here. And Mitch said he left there with a bow, totally set up, ready to do For this his with kid. his kid. Nice. Like he just, and so I'm seeing, I, I get, here's my ultimate point. I'm not telling you that I'm doing this. I'm not that naive, but. I receive a number of letters every right. week of guys saying, I never even thought about this. Yeah. I never even, like, the the ideal, idealization of what hunting is on TV and some different things have turned these guys off. So then they see some of our work, and they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. So you shot a deer. You scun it out. You took the meat home. You're eating it, and you tan the skin, and it hangs in your office or sits on your office floor or sit, you know, in the garage or whatever, and that's hunting? And I go, yeah. And they go, oh, that sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. And But 
they, you know, like I did, um, do you know who Daniel Vitalis is? No, I don't. He does a huge, huge podcast out of Maine, a huge podcast called Rewild Yourself. Okay. You should check it out. He's very intelligent, very right. articulate. If I'm going to call a spade a spade, I think he's quote-unquote whatever weird means yeah. in, the, in a good sense. Yeah. Covered in tattoos. He was an anti-hunter. Okay. And, but he's a gatherer, which is so funny. And him and I did a podcast together, and I'm like, so you're a gatherer. You'll go pick up acorns and eat them, <laughs> but you're against killing animals. I said, absolutely. And I'm like, do you know how freaking knuckleheaded that is? And then, and then he, would, he would also eat insects. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, insects became dragonflies. And he'd go out and catch like a thousand dragonflies in a year and eat them. Wow. And he'd make stuff out of dragonflies and stuff. And then, and then all of a sudden it became, and then a buddy of his was like, do you want to go fishing? And he said, ah, I don't know if I can kill a fish, man. And he goes, and his buddy goes, well, I'll tell you what, man. One 12-inch trout is like 60 dragonflies. And he was like, oh, yeah, no kidding, huh? <laughs> so they went trout fishing. He caught some trout. And he's like, oh, my God. Like, he looks at everything as food. Right. Which is cool. Yep. So he's like, this trout is so much more meat than, than all these dragonflies. So then he went and did... Um, he went and killed like a rabbit. He was like, are you, and he's telling me this on a podcast. He's like, do you know how much meat is on a snowshoe hare? And I'm like, yeah, dude, a, a lot. And so he's like, are you freaking kidding me? Like a snowshoe hare is like eight trout. So then he was like, it's so funny because that's how he was building his pyramid. That was his building his food pyramid. So then he's like, killed a turkey. He's like, dude, there's like two and a half snowshoe hares on a turkey. So then he finally like killed a bear and then he killed a deer and it's so funny. And he told me that as his animals got bigger and bigger that he was killing and eating, his hate mail increased. So when he was killing, you know, when he was killing dragonflies, he had none. Yeah. Nobody cared. Right. When he was killed a trout, a couple people cared. When he killed a rabbit, a couple more people cared. And it's just so funny how as animals get cuter right. and more animals that we've given more anthropomorphism too right right people start to you know start to kind of freak out a little bit and it's and it is a difficult difficult concept but he told me and these are his words not mine but he's like man to be a, a hunter i thought you had to like listen to country music and drive a jacked up truck and i thought you had to smoke marble reds like chew tobacco yeah literally he's like that, that's what i thought and and then he he all of a sudden he backdoored into it all of a right. sudden he's like he killed a turkey and he's like shoot Oh, I'm a friggin' hunter. <laughs> and then, and I was like, yeah, not only are you a hunter, it seems to be you're a pretty decent hunter. Where him and I have a disconnect, <clears throat> it's like he went bear hunting. Yeah. And I'm going to, again, I'll call a spade a spade, but he went bear hunting. And he's like, I, w I didn't want to put out all the poisonous lipids. He hunted over bait. Yeah. So like, I didn't want to put all over the poisonous lipids of donuts and molasses and all this, all this poison. So I put out organic cashews, which had to be like, <laughs> 1.7 million dollars in bear bait, but then he's like, I put out organic cashews, and then, and then he went and met with a, a um, I'm gonna leave that part out of the story, but um, basically he went and had a connection with a spirit animal, yeah, and so he was told, right, that the first bear that comes in is the bear that's presenting itself to you. It's giving you its soul. It's giving you its flesh for you to take, <laughs> and so he ended up shooting like a 90 pound bear, right. And so he was asking me about this, and I was like, well, I'm not a very spiritual man. Right. Um, but I said, Daniel, it, that's not the bear that gave itself to you. It's a three-year-old cub. 
right. the first one to the bait because he's trying to beat all the big older bears to the bait. So call it what you will, embodiment in your head what you will, but I'm telling you as a biologist, biologically, the younger bears have to eat first, otherwise they don't eat. So that's the bear that you shot. If you would have waited till the last light, the last minute, you probably would have shot a much larger bear. Here's a funny story. I hunt, I hunt a piece of property that uh, butts up next to a marsh, and this lady had a self-proclaimed like a wildlife refuge, right? So I knocked on her door because there's all these... In her head? In her head, yes. She. This was not the state or anything like that. She's like, I have a wild... I, I manage a wildlife refuge. She declared it. Yes, yes. So Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I knock on her door, and this come to find out from when I knock it on her door, ask permission to hunt it. She's like, oh, I don't know. My, it, is a, it is a refuge. Yeah. My spirit animal is a, a white-tailed doe. And I said, <laughs> I feel shitty for even saying this, but that's amazing because my spirit animal is a white-tailed buck. And she's like, really? I go, can I shed hunt your property? So that's how I got my foot in the door. Right. So I brought her a... Excuse me? You're putting these all on a tin back? Uh, yeah, yep, yep. He's right there. Hey, Ben Harshine, this guy wants to talk to you about maps. <laughs> I'm leaving that in, by the way. Um, but so I knock on her door. I get permission to shed hunt, and I give her I give her a shed. She didn't even know that ant deer, deer shed. I handed this shed to her, just like a 40-inch antler, yeah. and she was like, oh, my God, this is a, this is a sign. So... It was the sign that I should not hunt her property. Should not. <laughs> it should not. So, anyway, I, I, I tried to get into that property. Yeah. But but you see what I'm talking yeah, about? Absolutely. Like, you can conjure up, you know, and, and, and Daniel has done this, you yeah. know, and there's all these different things. But it was interesting to talk to him because he, 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 he backdoored into hunting right. before he even knew it. And so I, I, I think there's some decent hunter recruitment as far as um, I do think stories that are well written right um podcasts that are well articulated right. um things that are out there that are pure and good and right and right. honest and right. i think will recruit things but i do believe like when things are sensationalized when things are loud bright um yeah. i think it does tend to not only scare people away but it's a guilty by association absolutely so they're like i just yeah. you know what i do kind of want to be a hunter but I'm so nervous, and, and I catch myself. I'll probably catch hell for saying this on your podcast, but um, when we go on filming trips, we get asked 10 times a day in the airport because they see all of our camera gear, and they see, like, my boat case, and they're always like, what are you guys doing? Everyone. And yeah. we say, oh, we're, you know, like when we did the mountain lions, um, we said, oh, we're going to film mountain lions in, uh, in British Columbia. And they go, oh, that is so sweet. Like, what are you, like, what are you doing? And we're like, oh, we're just filming them and just checking them out. And, you know, we do a bunch of, we own a production company, All right. Truth, you know. And they're like, oh, cool. And then, like, the lady at the counter, we're putting our bags through. And she's like, is there a gun in here? And I said, no, just a bone. She's like, you're not injuring any innocent, poor, <laughs> poor, innocent animals, which is what everyone loves to say. Right. You're not injuring any poor, innocent animals, are you? And I said, no, 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 just shooting targets. And she's yeah. like, oh, okay, good. And so I didn't even, you know, it's and, and almost always I just, Saves if, fight. if somebody asks a great question yeah. in a fair and honest manner, I will take all the time I have to right. sit down and chat with them about it. If you're going to attack me, 
even if you're going to attack me fairly, yeah. I'm going to engage you. And then if you take things to a ridiculous level, I'll back yeah. out. Or if you start at a ridiculous level, I'll back out. Or if I can just read into the fact of, like, you know, you think – I actually there's said – There's an agenda with the conversation. There's an agenda with yeah. the conversation. You're not, and you're not going to win. And I just, had this, I just had this woman in New York. This is going to sound terrible. But I just had this woman in New York. This is going to sound really bad. But she said, I killed a big doll sheep. Yeah. And she's like, oh, she's obviously not a hunter. She's like, it's really beautiful, Donnie. And she's like, I know you worked really hard for it because it was a really physical hunt. But, you know, did it make you sad at all? And I said, yeah, well, absolutely. Like, it was, you know, it's difficult to yeah, take an animal's life, you know. And, yeah. and she said, well, um, do, you think his, do you think his family unit is going to miss him? And I said, uh, no, I said, so let me just give you a little tidbit here. This is going to sound terrible and gross, and this is definitely anthropomorphism at its best. But I said, her name was Barb. I said, Barb, the ram that I shot would shove his own father off of a cliff to breed his mother. Right. This, this, is, this is fitness. This is differential reproductive success. These animals... Fight and feed and live in order to produce. They're yes. trying to produce the best offspring they can to perpetuate right. their genes. Right. They, as soon as they come out of their mom and as soon as they leave their mom and become an individual, whether it be a ewe or a ram or a grizzly sow or boar, it is on. Yeah. Like, you know, and people, they, you know, wait, whoa, a boar will eat cubs? Absolutely. And he'll eat the sow if he feels like right. it. Like, And they're like, well, that's not good for the population. <laughs> yeah, but it's good for his belly, and it means nobody's going to be in this fishing hole tomorrow. Yeah. And so, like, there's a lot of information and a lot of variables, and anyone, hunters, right. like hunters that say, this is, my, this is my right, you can kiss my ass. Oh, boy. If you're looking for a fight, I promise you, we will lose this fight. If right. you're looking for a war, right. we will lose this war. Right. There's no question. Right. Look at British Columbia grizzly bear hunting. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to start a fight, you are going to lose it. Yeah. And so um, I think just the more we can be open-minded, the more we can answer good questions with honesty, and, and that includes saying, I don't know. Right. That's, how, that's how I kind of got to where I am right now is I had a couple of people ask me, like, hey, so why are you a hunter? I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, uh, I had nothing for him. Right. Nothing. And then they said, well, you know, is it difficult to kill? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And they said, why? And I was like, well, uh, I don't know. Like right. it, I, then I started to have to ask myself right. some big questions and try to figure out, um, you know, why, why was I a hunter? Right. What, where does hunting come from? Why do we hunt? And, yeah. and so I think, I, think you make, I think you make really good points that I do think we have – Maybe be, maybe snowballed into scaring some away, right? And um, and maybe snowballed into guys not wanting to be guilty by association. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then I think a whole nother negative side is I think there's a recruitment, like we talked earlier. There's a recruitment of people that want to be in front of a camera. Yeah, and want to grow social media by doing sensational things. They're you know, literally look at how to grow an audience yeah. over being themselves. Right. So, yeah, makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to, we're going to end it here real shortly, but this is just because I'm selfish and it's my podcast, so I, I have a question for you. <laughs> You've been on a lot of hunts, right? 
several different species. Do you have any bucket list hunt that you have not done that you're starting like to prep for or have on on your uh, list for the future? Yeah, um, there's a couple. There's several, um, but. There are several caribou species that I haven't hunted. Right. I'm actually a little sick to my stomach over this because some of these species that I kind of took mentally for granted, like Quebec Labrador, um, different things like that, maybe even Central Barren Ground Caribou, these are things that I've wanted to hunt my entire life. I love hunting caribou. Yeah. And now some of those populations aren't really... Yeah, that uh, sucks. Yeah, so I don't even know if they're going to allow hunting coming up here in the future, and, and I'm totally okay if the, if the decision biologically is hey, the caribou are in a slump, you know, because they're cyclical, yeah. so they're in a slump now, but the, their slumps are so big that, like, they might not be up again until I'm right. an old man, right? right. So um, so the, those guys, and um, I really want to do more moose hunting. Right. I've killed one Alaska Yukon moose with a muzzleloader. I want to kill several with a bow. Yeah. I'm not a super slammer. I don't want to yeah. chase all these different species. I would... But, but there's several. Like, I would love to hunt Alaska Yukon moose every year. Right. I want to hunt elk more. But yeah. um, some of those big ungulates like that are, are things that I really want to focus on a little bit. And, and, um, and I'd, like to, I'd like to hunt also. I've killed one stone sheep with my bow. And um, I'd like to do another one so that we can photograph and film it better than, than I did the first one. Right. So, but if... if Narrowing it down, I'd say some of the moose species and some of the caribou species, and I'm starting to look at different areas, different guys. Things are changing so fast right now in the world that I'm yeah. trying to, like, figure this stuff out right now. But yeah. um, caribou are so underrated, it's not even funny. Right. Have you ever hunted them? I have not, but they are on my bucket list, I'm going to have to say, probably elk's number one. I'm, I, I'm You've going, never? I've, I've been elk hunting, never successful. Yep. Uh, this year I'm going to Colorado again. Mule deer is probably number two. Oh. But third is, third, it's probably should be number two, but it's caribou. Yeah. I have this idea in my head of, I saw, I, I saw uh, some episode with Jim Shockey up, I think it was a high country caribou hunt, and he did probably it with a mountain caribou. Yeah. And it was the scenery is what sold it for me. Yeah. Not even the antlers on the head. Yeah, yeah. So that's... And I, I have, like, when you're ready, I have a really good spot that you can go <laughs> by yourself yeah. or with someone. Like, right. you don't have to have a guide or whatever, but I have a really... I have a couple of really good spots and with a couple of really good pilots, which is kind of the trick. Yeah. You don't want to... Yeah. As, as fun as dying sounds, um, <laughs> these areas that they're going into are pretty sketchy. So yeah. I know a guy that's wickedly talented and can land you in some pretty cool spots. And Heck yeah. Yeah. So, Heck yeah. And it's probably like, well, we can talk about this off off, off the podcast, but it's, it's reasonable. Like oh. you, could, you could afford it. So, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, man. Appreciate it, dude. I appreciate you taking time to do this. Nine Finger Chronicles. <laughs> so funny. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Another podcast in the books. First and foremost, huge shout out to Donnie for taking time to sit down and record with me. That's one hell of a podcast. Huge shout out to Ben Harshine, the owner of Huntera Maps, for letting us use his booth space. Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Huge shout out to each and every one of you who has taken the time to download listen to this podcast thank you thank you and then again huge shout out to all the people that make this podcast possible 
Exodus Trail Cameras, Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Ozonics, Gearhead Bows, Wasp Archery, and uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, without you, uh, this uh, podcast would not be possible, and it would just be some dude sitting in the back room talking into a microphone. Uh, oh, I forgot. Huge shout out to my wife for letting me go to the Iowa Deer Classic when she had to stay home with two sick kids. And yeah, so if you haven't already, please take the time. Go check out the Nine Finger Chronicles on Instagram and social media uh, and Facebook. Also, go to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, uh, sportsmansnation.com, and check out the all the other podcasts that are out there. And if you're going to be in a tree, moving tree stands or climbing or setting a tree stand up, please wear your damn safety harness.